1: Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode.
2: Welcome to the Football Digest with Anita Abiyomi and me, Peter Staunton. Today, we're in the company of Alex Brotherton, Manchester City writer for the Manchester Even News and Jordan Blackwell, the Leicester City correspondent at the Mercury. Erling Haaland's stupendous form in front of goal continues and he added another two goals to his Sally midweek in the Champions League against Sevilla. Leicester, meanwhile, look to be running out of steam fast under Brendan Rodgers. Having experienced a few seasons of looking to get back into the Champions League, they're now more worried about dropping into the Championship. Chelsea have lost three consecutive away games And the pressure is beginning to mount on Thomas Tuchel. They were beaten 1-0 away from home against Dinamo Zagreb on Tuesday. Elsewhere, Man United beat Arsenal in the Premier League standout fixture at the weekend. And Liverpool's drab start to the campaign continued with a goalless draw at Everton. But first, we will turn to Alex on Manchester City and their new superstar striker. Alex, another two goals for Haaland last night. Um... What did you make of his overall performance, or is he more of a tap-in merchant to rival Cristiano Ronaldo?
1: Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say he's a tap-in merchant, though. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting, really. To obviously, you know, he's, he's scoring loads of goals—twelve already—and seven appearances for City, which is just, you know, I don't think we've ever seen those kind of numbers from a, a Premier League player before. But it's it's just interesting to see the difference. Um, it's sort of reminiscent of how a bit more like how City used to attack when Sergio Aguero was at his peak. You know, that guy where City is still going to play the same way. They've been playing it ever since Guardiola came in. You know, the the passing game, the positional play, um, having everyone sort of capable of scoring. But it does seem to make a bit of a difference when you've got that guy that you know is always going to be making those runs in and around the six-yard box. And obviously we saw that with his, well, with both his goals last night against Sevilla, that, that first one it was kind of the move where De Bruyne didn't even have to look when he was crossing. He just knew that, you know, well, he knew someone was going to be there and chances are it was going to be early in Haaland. And uh, yeah, obviously great, great cross, great finish. Um, but yeah, his all-round game, obviously he's, he is getting those tappings. That's what, that's his kind of bread and butter. But um, I've been really impressed actually with his, you know, the thing, the parts of his games that people were a bit skeptical about when City signed him, there was all this, oh, how's he he going to fit in with Guardiola? He's not very good at build-up, can't really pass the ball too well. But I think he's slowly but surely proving all all the doubters wrong in in that respect because I think we saw in his first few games, perhaps his passing was a little bit ropey. It was going to take a bit of time for him to sort of um, bed in with his new teammates and get on the same wavelength. But even in those opening games, like against West Ham, and then Bournemouth, he was, he was doing the sort of off the ball movements that were making space for cities, other attackers to run into. It's just his very presence just um, strikes fear into defenders. I think, you know, if he drops a few yards, it's going to create space in behind the defender that goes with him. That's going to like allow someone like Ilkay Gundogan to run into that space. And then in the more recent games, we have seen him linking up well with players. He um, almost turned provider for Kevin De Bruyne last night, but, um, played him for on goal, but um, Yassine Bono made a good save. Um, so, yeah, I've been really impressed with his all-round game and obviously it's it was never going to work if he was just scoring tappings and doing nothing else, but he, he's showing that, you know, maybe he's not quite the complete forward yet, but he's the most complete forward I've seen in a long time. So it's um, everything's looking uh, rather good.
2: Absolutely. One thing that really impresses me about Haaland, actually, from when he first came on my notice, was, you know, he's playing that. I think it was the under nineteen World Cup. He scored nine goals in one match. Uh, he stood out there with an exceptional goal scoring rate. Then he jumped into the to the Austrian league, maintained that goal scoring rate. Then he jumps to the Bundesliga, maintains the rate. International football maintains the rate, and now the Premier League and Champions League. Every time that he's asked to take a step up in quality, it seems that he can match that with it, sort of this prodigious uh, goal scoring output. I've never seen anything like it, really.
1: Yeah, it's just I think he's the I think he's only the fourth player is it to score in the Champions League for three different clubs or something. It's it's I can't remember the exact figures and and yeah, he's it's it's just unbelievable how he can you know, I guess with these kind of players when they come from sort of less um sort of top level leagues there's always the the question are, are they going to step it up when they next move and then Obviously, he answered that when he went to Dortmund. It wasn't just because he was in the Austrian League. And then when he came to City, it was, oh, Bundesliga attacks. You know, we've seen the likes of Timo Werner struggle when he's come over, um, other or or the German players. But, you know, that's, I mean, first of all, the Bundesliga tax is just a myth. It doesn't exist, but uh, Erling Haaland... It's more like
2: Premier League tax season.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, Erling Haaland's proved that, you know, he can do it in any competition, in any team. You know, whoever's supplying the balls to him, he, he's got all the qualities to, to you know, to make defensive pay for for any sort of slight chance that they afford him. And yeah, just unbelievable scoring rate. I think another sort of unbelievable status or I can't remember the exact figure, but it was, I think, only 30 something um, players have got more Champions League goals than Erling Haaland and he's only made 20 appearances in the champions league. It's just absolutely crazy. Um, so it's yeah, already, just he's already
2: got more, he's already got more premier league goals than the likes of Shevchenko and Morientes who seem to be like in the premier league for ages failing. And he's been there mm. like five minutes and he's already nearly into double figures.
1: It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there's a long, long list of players that he's either already bypassed or, or he's going to at some point. It's just, um, it is just scary. Like I, the, everyone always says it, but I can't think of another way to to describe it because I've I've never I mean he's even outscored Aguero in his start to life at City. Um yeah, I think Aguero got uh I can't quite remember. It was it was it was, you know, he, he was on the sort of the same number of goals for games or perhaps one more one more goal in his in his first like six seven games for City, but Haaland's just blown out of the water and yeah, he could be on track to be you know, one of City's greatest ever attackers and he's he's been here five minutes, so it's it's just it's surreal really
2: Anita breaking news what? Thomas Tuchel has just been sacked by Chelsea. You're lying.
0: I'm not lying. Oh my god, why lying. is everyone FaceTiming me? No, <laughs> This is a huge mistake. I told this you I, a huge mistake. I told you like six
2: weeks ago this was going to happen, did I not? Big Anita, mistake. I'm coming to you for your instant reaction to this. We've we've got the best person in, in situ for to react to this to, uh, Thomas Tuchel news. Tell me about it.
0: That is a big mistake.
2: I'm just gonna read out the statement on behalf of everyone at Chelsea. Hang on. Website's not loading. On behalf of everyone at Chelsea, the club would like to place on record its gratitude to Thomas and his staff for all their efforts during their time with the club. Thomas will rightly have a place in Chelsea history after winning the Champions League, the Super Cup and the Club World Cup in his time here. As the new ownership group reaches 100 days since taking over the club, and as it continues, it's hard work to take the club forward. The new owners believe it is the right time to make this transition. Chelsea's coaching staff will take charge of the team for training and the preparation of our upcoming matches as the club moves swiftly to appoint a new head coach. There will be no further comment until a new head coach appointment is made. Chelsea Football Club has today parted company with head coach Thomas Tuchel. Anita, are you surprised? I'm...
0: I'm speechless. I'm, I'm actually... Peter, what do I, what do I say? I'm, I'm in shock. You spend 300 million pounds for this manager and you sack him after a couple of losses. I get it. The Leeds loss was absolutely unforgivable. And then you look at the loss against um, Dynamo Zagreb last night. It wasn't their best loss. Yeah, I get it. But at the same time, it just seemed like the players had let him down. But. Thomas Tuco has been such a big asset to Chelsea. And I can't think of any reason as to why Todd Bowley would wake up in the morning and say, Yeah, we need to part ways with this guy, especially because, okay, maybe not 100% of the fan base as it was before the summer is behind him, but still the vast majority of the fan base are behind him. So letting him go so early on, it's like, okay, are we moving on from the old regime of Chelsea or not? What's next? What manager are we going to hire next? Because I'm looking at the market now with managers. I'm thinking, so who are you going to bring in?
2: Because I Pochettino?
0: Can't... <sighs> Maybe
2: Pochettino? he he seems to be the one that's jumping out to me Um, Jordan I realise you've been sitting there for about 10 minutes but you actually have uh, up close experience of of playing against Chelsea Leicester played against Chelsea earlier on this season so if if we don't mind parking Leicester for a minute we can talk a little bit about Chelsea first of all Uh, obviously there was the Fofana deal and Chilwell's been there as well and you know Chelsea uh, beat them earlier on uh, over the course of this season not that Leicester are having problems of their own with Brendan Rodgers I mean you're probably expecting a statement about Rodgers anytime soon as well but what's your as somebody who's seen Chelsea in action does this surprise you um did they come across as a crisis club in that Leicester game um you know uh give us your reaction to this Jordan
3: yeah well I am surprised yes I think the uh I think my feeling was that Leicester are playing Aston Villa this weekend and those were the two most under pressure managers at the minute and whoever might lose that one might be the next to go uh between Gerrard and Rogers. but um so, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised. I think looking back to the, the Chelsea-Leicester game a few weeks ago, um, obviously Chelsea won with 10 men playing for playing with 10 men for 65 minutes. Um, but it was, Leicester have been really poor this season. It was probably Leicester's best performance of the season. So maybe that doesn't say much for Chelsea. I think Vardy had three one-on-ones, um, which Leicester have just not created chances in any other game they've played Uh but, you know, normally Jamie Vardy would finish those and Leicester would have come away with a win. So, yeah, maybe there was concerns there, but I think you maybe put it down to the fact that they had 10 men and you, you can't really maybe judge it too much based on that. But, um, yeah, certainly this feels like a surprise for me. I think, as Anita said, the the amount of money that's been spent, uh, the you know, it felt like that they were buying those players specifically for uh, Tuchel, you know, Bringing in Kukurea because he can play as a as a, both a left wing back and a, a left centre back, if you like, as part of the back three. Bringing in Fafana because they like to play with a, that three man defence and they needed more options there. Um, yeah, if you know a, a new manager could come in and, and prefers to play with a back four, and all of a sudden they've got uh, you know quite a lot of good defenders that aren't getting into the team. Um, so yeah, that would that's that's the surprise for me that they've, they've not even let him have the opportunity to work with the new players. I mean, what's so Favanas played two games, is it? Um, I think so, too, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's the biggest surprise for me, that you would let a manager um, have their say in the transfers and then not not let him use those players.
0: My question is, has he been sacked or did he leave? Like, what's the actual term that Chelsea are using? Because they said parted ways. Has he actually been sacked? Mm-hmm. Is it as Or has he left Because I can understand If he's left But if he's been sacked That kind of worries me Because that's more ruthless Than Roman Abramovich I can't lie to you That is way more ruthless Than I could have ever imagined
2: well, it to me, like I said a few weeks ago, Anita, they looked out of steam. I thought they, it, it looked inevitable to me. And, you know, I'm thinking about the history of Chelsea here as well, you know, since the beginning of the Bramovich era. It's like if a manager's, you know, if he gives you that boost, he keeps his job. As soon as he loses that sort of steam, he's gone, he's out. That's that's what's happened, um, you know, all through the last 20 years or so. That that's hasn't changed you now under Todd yeah. Bowling. And it's Tuchel, you know... The intensity he worked with at Borussia Dortmund uh, and that ended in a bit of a shambles. The intensity he worked with with PSG as well, that ended in a bit of a shambles. I just feel that this is how he reaches the end of his natural life cycle at these big clubs. Maybe he's got nothing left to give, but I think I have to agree with Jordan. You know, how are you getting yourself into a situation where you're back in a manager on, uh, spending huge money on the likes of Sterling, uh, Koulibaly, Kukurea, Fofana. That's a lot of money that spent on players Uh, that a new manager is now going to have to go in and mould the squad. Um, But to me, like I said, I call this six weeks ago, Anita.
0: (laughs) You did. You did, Peter. I can't even sit here and say that you did it. You called it a long time ago, but I'm just thinking it's still very harsh. September sackings. I don't think we've had one at Chelsea before. Like We always give them until like November, November, December times that's when a coach usually gets a second. Not at the start of a season. I think it's a huge mistake from Chelsea, from everyone involved. I do hope that they prove me wrong. If it is Pochettino, I hope Pochettino can revive whatever is happening at Chelsea with all the players, all the um, options at his disposal. But, Wow, this is a big mistake from Chelsea, and I'm gonna miss Thomas Tuchel. I'm gonna miss him dearly. So, where is it? Uh, where is it gone wrong for Tuchel? I feel like it's, he has he was given too much responsibility this summer. First of all, a manager that's given a lot of responsibility in a transfer window will be held accountable for anything that goes wrong in the transfer window. I think. A midfielder should have definitely been brought, a defensive midfielder, a traditional defensive midfielder should have been brought. Because we all knew Mateo Kovacic, injury prone, Angolo Kante, injury prone, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, injury prone. We've we've known it for a very long time. So that should have been the first cause of action that was made in this transfer window. And of course, Todd Bowley and everyone behind Todd Bowley, they gave him a lot of autonomy over this transfer window. But again, he's not a sporting director. He's not a director of football. So could he have seen this coming? Yeah, but at the same time, there should have been a director of football there to kind of guide him and assist him in that same way too. Also, on top of that, change the style of play, you know? Change how we play. Change the personnel um, in the final third. Using Armando Breuer made us look a lot better last night. It made us look a lot better Mm -hmm. um, against Southampton as well. Use Armando Breyer more. He should have been used more from the start of the season. Kai Havertz clearly wasn't firing enough. Um, he looked a bit off the pace with the ball as well. Kai Havertz should have been rotated a lot sooner. Um, there's there's just a number of things that could have been done better, but at the same time, he had a lot of responsibility over the summer. And I do not think that this is fair. It's It's actually... I'm heartbroken. I won't lie to you. One of my favourite Chelsea managers. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little heartbroken. Sorry, Jordan. Sorry, Alex. You're coming in to me just tearing up about my manager. But it is what it is. Alex, it is.
2: um... I want to bring you back in here. I, I want to continue with Chelsea maybe a little bit here, if you don't mind. So I'm just reading some of the names that have been mentioned in dispatches. So maybe we'll talk about some of the early contenders. I see Richard Pochettino is obviously uh, the first name I've seen mentioned. Zinedine Zidane, obviously, still out of a job after leading Real Madrid to three Champions Leagues in a row. I've seen Joachim Lowe's name mentioned. Marcelo Bielsa, San Sampaoli, uh, who left Marseille at the start of the season, obviously, in acrimony circumstances, and also Graham Potter. Um... So from that lot, Alex, or even some outsiders, I mean, would Emma Hayes even be a contender at this stage? Who knows? What, what's your initial reaction to uh, to where Chelsea go to from here?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's I'm surprised by the decision, obviously, basically for the sort of same reasons Anita and, and Jordan really outlined. You know, it's just to, to back someone, a coach so heavily in the market and then immediately just sack them. It just just seems nonsensical, really. And it's, I don't know, there was... To go from here, I don't really know because like it it looked like in the sort of first hundred days of of the Todd Bowley sort of era that he was this guy that sort of maybe was going to have a more active role in the club than what Roman Abramovich had, rather than just throwing money and saying right here's some money, go sort it out. Like he was he was he's at the, all the games, he was negotiating the deals. You kind of got the sense that he was more a bit more invested in terms of you know he had a vision for what he wanted to do, mm-hmm. but now. I'm not so sure this this behavior doesn't really chime with that. Um, so obviously they spent a lot of money. They bought in some big name signings. He obviously was keen to get the big names in regardless of the cost. Um, you know, we saw that with Kukurea. Obviously City had a limit of how much they were willing to spend. Chelsea were like, okay, let's just throw all the money at it and get it done. So in terms of the manager, I, I can't... It feels to me like they'll, they'll go for like one of Pochettino or Zidane. I don't really see, you know... Obviously the other options are great managers, but I feel like it's gonna be a big name. Like I think like maybe that's what that's what he wants, maybe Top Bowley. I don't know. Like, but I can't really see it being someone like Graham Potter where he's a great coach, but it will be a massive step up in terms of the level of the club and the kind of players that be coaching. And there's quite a big risk there wherever it works. I don't think Bowley would want to take that kind of approach. You know, okay, maybe Maybe this is a bit unfair, but I know Tuchel has a bit of a reputation for being perhaps not the easiest manager for owners, chairmen, players to work with. Um, Sam Paoli is also a pretty fiery character, so I don't think it would be him either. So I do think it's it's going to be Zidane or Pochettino. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sh- given how things sort of went with Pochettino at, at Paris Saint-Germain in terms of managing, you know, elite level sort of players with big egos. I don't know how that would work at Chelsea, so mm-hmm. don't know if he wants someone that's got a proven track record of of you know winning Champions Leagues, uh, managing a squad with the with the with the level of players and the characters and and the sort of history of success of the club. Maybe Zidane is the best option. You know, he's not got necessarily a clear, defined style of play that you would get with Pochettino, but I guess it depends which way Boley and his his board. want to go but maybe maybe Zidane will be the best option
2: I think um, where I feel a little bit sorry for Tuchel is obviously when it was all kicking off and and, uh, the club was stripped from Abramovich and so forth you know he seemed to he seemed to bridge the gap quite well between what was happening at the club and expressing that towards the fans I think at one stage he said they would take the bus to a Champions League game if they were banned from flying all that kind of thing and he seemed to exemplify a really good attitude and just getting on with the job and then you know, as Anita's mentioned, over the course of the summer, he almost took on that, that you know, old school manager's role where it's like, these are the players I want, this is what I want them to do. So giving somebody or ostensibly giving somebody that level of control over what's happening at the club and then, you know, revoking it completely by sacking him, uh, to me, looks a little bit directionless at this stage of the season. And as you mentioned... Uh, Alex, you know, the attraction to big names from Todd Bowley has been there, or, or big sums, because I don't think Kukure is a big name for mm. I With all due respect to Cook to, to Fan. he's not a big name within the game, just said he's a high, high, promising player. But you know, you're talking 70 million on those guys. Koulibaly's a big name, he's been linked with every club over the last four or five years, right? Sterling's a massive name. Aubameyang, we haven't even mentioned yet, is a huge name. So, I do think there's that. Star quality element to it that Todd Bowley might be looking for uh, in his next appointment. I don't know, Jordan. I want to bring you back in here. I think it's really unfair, Jordan. that We've not really managed to talk about Leicester yet. We're talking about other clubs, and uh, but yeah, come on. Let's let's talk a little bit more about Chelsea then. What, where do you think they're going to go from here? Um, are there any parallels to the situation that's going on at Leicester right now?
3: I, I don't think so, no, because I think it's uh, Leicester. The you know, there's the been no money spent, and that's that's part of the part of the issue both for. Um, you know the club's on form uh on pitch performances and also sort of rogers uh sort of the pressure on rogers um i as as has been said i think they would look for the really big a really big name manager um i think zidane probably seems to be the best but i don't know i've always got the impression with zidane that he he's not got that same motivation that perhaps other managers have it just it felt like he was sort of Real Madrid manager because it was just quite convenient, and he was. It felt it felt like a really easy job for him to do. Um, you know, I, I,
2: he had that I affinity, if, didn't he? Really? It, I, yeah, I don't know if
3: he would. I don't know if he would move countries, I, you know, and things like that to to come and um, you know to come and work in the UK. Although I think he was linked to the United job at, at one point. Um, so he would seem the best to me, as as Alex has said. I think the. The PSG experience for Pochettino perhaps um, yeah, cast out on him a little bit because of the way he was you know he's obviously a very good manager because he proved that with Tottenham, but it didn't feel like he was quite able to be that very good coach and very good manager and and do the tactics and everything like that and also manage the the big names and the big stars and get them playing cohesively and sort of marry that all together. Um, and I think that's what Chelsea would look for, though. I don't think obviously it, they've not quite got the players on the same level as sort of, you know, Mbappe, Neymar and, and uh, Messi. So, yeah, I think those would be the the two, all the others you said, I can't, you know, Bielsa, I don't think would certainly be interesting, but uh, I can't see that happening. Um, Graham Potter does not strike me. I think Graham Potter would be an excellent appointment um, in September
2: though in September is where I would worry these guys you know these oh. these uh, real sort of uh, students of the game like Potter you know I, I think you need a pre-season with these guys no rather than just you know throwing them in the deep end and saying, get me three results in a row you know get us towards the top of the league qualifiers from the Champions League that's a lot of pressure to work under
3: Yeah. Well, well, it is. Yes. And if that, if that's what they want, then I would say that that would be unfair on a new manager to, you know, to say come in and you've got to win straight away. But I think if you're trying to find someone who every time they've stepped up a level in management has done really well and has produced a good footballing side, um, you know, a really effective footballing team on a, you know, a smaller budget than lots of the other teams around him. Um, then Potter would be a, 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 an excellent choice. Obviously, we don't know we don't know how he deals with sort of big names and the, the big pressure of being a team that has to compete for trophies and things like that. We don't know how he would get on with that. Um, but certainly all the evidence in his career so far has said that he would be a, a very, very good manager.
2: Mm, Anita, I can, see, I can see you've got your head down there. You're clearly reading through what's going on. You're probably getting your WhatsApp through from your Chelsea groups. Tell us, what's the instantaneous reaction out there?
0: Okay, so instant reaction, right? And you remember what I told you, like, maybe not the 100% of the fan base is behind um, Chelsea anymore. And it seems like there's a little bit of hostility towards Thomas Tuchel. It's been building up across the weeks anyway, right? People are still in shock. Because what I've read from um, Twitter, I've read it from my group chats, I've read it from Chelsea group chat, Chelsea forums as well. What I've read is this is a radical decision. It's too rash. It's too early on in the season. Unless these guys have an instant replacement, it's it's a, sh- I don't want to say stupid, but it's a miscalculated decision. And that's what's going on um, on social media at the moment. A lot of people just aren't understanding it. I'm not understanding it. As you can see, I'm in complete disarray. I, <laughs> I can't seem to piece together why this could happen at this moment in time. But overall, there's just a general general flurry of what's going to happen next are we going to get Pochettino is it going to be Zidane would we like to have Zidane does Zidane have the tactics that this team needs does Pochettino have that winning mentality that Chelsea requires it's required for you to have a winning mentality to take charge of Chelsea what's going to happen next listen I'm all here for a third season of Jose Mourinho Give him a call at Roma, ask him, hey, what are you doing for the rest of the season? Would you like to come back to London? This this team right now is perfectly set up for Jose Mourinho. I would not mind. I will still go to Stamford Bridge and I will cheer him on, just like the other 40,000 of us that go to Stamford Bridge on a weekly basis. I wouldn't mind that, but as of right now, it's complete disarray, and it's just a wonder of who comes in next and takes on this challenge that Thomas Tuchel currently had. So, yeah, it's, it's not positive. I'll tell you that for free. Top four is just looking further and further away <laughs> as we stare at it. So... Yeah, fun times Peter, fun times. Fun times. Alex, I can see you're another one there that's been um,
2: you know, you're clearly uh, looking at what's going on. Um, what what sort of reactions are you seeing out there at the moment and how do they chime with, with your own gut feeling?
1: Um, yeah, it's I've I've seen largely the same just people expressing surprise, kind of well surprised because as i said earlier it felt like a sort of maybe chelsea would take a different path now now that abramovich is gone but it's it's sort of same old chelsea really isn't it you know you get a manager in get that boost lasts maybe two seasons three seasons maximum then something goes you know they go downhill a little bit and then all of a sudden it's, okay sack the manager we need someone else to uh you know give us a boost it's just a bit I mean, I'd say it's not sustainable, but obviously it kind of is because Chelsea have been winning <laughs> things for, you know, like the past 20 years. But I'm not sure it's just, it's obviously sustainable for for cup competitions as we've seen, you know, um, Chelsea have, have won two Champions Leagues in the last um, in the last decade. They've obviously won quite a lot of, they've won a few league titles, but, you know, I think it's just sort of bring a comparison to City. I think it, it's just poles apart really, isn't it? You know, I feel like you know, if it was Ch- if if Guardiola had gone to Chelsea in 2016 and had that first season that he had at City, where it was by no means a catastrophe, you know, City still finished in the top four. Um, but you know, w- would he have lasted if he was at Chelsea, or did they cut him after three, four months because it clearly wasn't working very well? Um, I don't know. It's just, it's for me. It's just obviously all I know is sort of backing the manager you know keeping keeping with the plan even 2019 20 so peps uh, fourth season at city was pretty disastrous by our standards if that was at chelsea there's he would 100% have been sacked mm-hmm. but you know it's just it's a different approach isn't it like it's you can't say it hasn't worked for chelsea but it's not it's not how i would like my club to sort of operate um but yeah its mostly reaction i've seen is is sort of the, the same as what anita was saying it's just it seems a very rash decision and not a very well thought out one given given all the sort of backing they gave Tuchel in the transfer market that ended a week ago. We're not talking like a few months ago here. They've barely given time for a new a, a team with a lot of new faces in to kind of, you know, settle in gel. Because they, they have looked disjointed in the last few games. But what what, what was Bowley expecting that, you know, you just throw in Sterling, Abameyang, Koulibaly, Kukarea, Fafana and everything will be fine immediately. It's 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 just a mad one.
2: And and they're still having injury troubles as well, Chelsea, too. I don't think they've had their... Anita, you would probably say, I mean, you've not seen Chelsea's best 11 yet this season, not by any stretch.
0: Yeah, facts. And I feel like the closest we've seen to our best 11 is probably against Tottenham. um, when we played some great football and obviously Kante, um, he was on fire that match as well. But... After that, obviously, Kante, Kante got injured, Kovacic still trying to wease his way back into um, the team, and Kai Havertz has looked a shadow of himself from seasons before. I We haven't see yet seen our best 11, or we haven't yet seen our best 11 at their best form. So, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Um, if we did see them, our best 11, at their best form, at their peak, and we saw that the results are not going the right way, then fair enough. But the fact that we haven't managed to see our best starting eleven and see what they are capable of is it's quite disheartening. Because now another manager will have to come in and find out who the best eleven is. They're going to have to figure everything out, what formation works best. And not everyone's like Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel came in day one. He came in, changed the formation knew who his best personnel was. I went on with it for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. And would that be the case for a new manager that comes in? I guess we have to find out. But is there a manager that's going to be able to perfect the 3-4-3 system that Thomas Tuchel has perfected for the last year and a bit?
2: And which he's got the personnel for, which is the issue,
0: isn't it? And it's like, will the next manager have the personnel? Will the next manager think he has the personnel for a back four? Right now, a lot of Chelsea fans are against the back four because we don't think we have the personnel. But if a new manager comes in and a back four all of a sudden works, then we can look back and think, okay, things weren't working with Thomas Tuchel and it's clear and evident to see. But a new manager that comes in basically will have to prove Thomas Tuchel wrong and prove the fans wrong, that there is a different way that Chelsea can play. There is a different system that Chelsea can use to be successful. And that's going to be... A hard job And there's only A couple of people On this Managerial platform Like Carlo Ancelotti Jose Mourinho The veterans Antonio Conte That I oh, You've, you've sacked All those guys already we have sacked them already we've, we've gotten rid of them already Antonio Conte Will never come back Carlo Ancelotti He's calling With his Champions League Jose Mourinho Is the happy one At Roma You know It's just This is the
2: I I wonder what I wonder what Goose Hitting is up to this week.
0: Listen, I might even text him myself, be like, "Hey, Goose, what are you saying? Wanna come down for old times' sake?" You know, Avram
2: Grant, Avram Grant, Rafa Benitez, these the famous caretakers of the past. Let's
0: not push it. Let's not push it. (laughs) Jordan, um.
2: There's two ways of doing things. Obviously, there's a Chelsea way of doing things, which is, you know, you have a bad result away from home in Europe, you sack the manager. Um, I'll move away a little bit from Chelsea now because I want to link this back into into Leicester. In that, in the context of what's going on at Chelsea, do you feel like Rodgers is a bit of a dead man walking at the moment? That it's only going to end one way? Do you think he's going to get a chance to rescue the situation or is he kind of hanging on for dear life? Um, because obviously, you know, with, with Chelsea, the decisiveness that they act when they when they get rid of Tuchel does that contrast with what's happening, you know, with 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 Leicester and Rodgers.
3: Yeah, I think the 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 money spent in the transfer window and the the kind of general wealth of the club and sort of financial health of the of the two clubs probably is is the biggest difference. Um, Leicester didn't spend well, they spent £15 million in the summer, and that was a replacement for a £70 million sale. Um, and that was it. Uh they've, you know, they've lost £100 million over the past two seasons, they're expected to post huge losses again in the next set of uh financial results. Um I think that probably means that Paying to sack a manager, which it does cost. You have to pay it. You have to, you know, pay yeah. a significant amount. I don't. I saw, think...
2: I saw ten million mentioned the other day about about Rodgers. Is that about right?
3: Yes, that seems to be. Uh, I've not had that confirmed myself, but I know who wrote the report, and I would, yeah, and I would say that that would be fairly accurate. Yes, um, but bear in mind that at the start of the summer, they you know they they had Adam Ola Luckman on loan last season from uh, Leipzig they had a clause in his contract that they were able to buy him for 14 million uh, and they couldn't afford it. They wanted to buy him but couldn't afford that at the at the start of the summer uh, and he's he's moved to Atalanta in Italy. So for them for them to
2: I'm doing well all accounts.
3: Yes, yeah, doing really well, yeah. Um so it, yeah, for them to sack a manager for for 10 million pounds um would be a risk of sorts, but the obviously the, the caveat is that relegation would cost more than that, and I think that's the that's when it will come down to it. It was when the the club feel that relegation is um, a, more than a possibility. I think the it difficult to say six games into a season if a team is one hundred percent going to be in a relegation battle. Obviously, Leicester have played three of the the top six or three of the big six in their first six games so maybe you could uh, look at that and say well that you know they've not had a, a, a fair run of fixtures yet but the game against brighton at the weekend there were so many hallmarks of a relegation battling team you know players not doing enough running no urgency to get back into the game just sort of glumly accepting the defeat defensive disorganization individual mistakes players arguing with each other um a beleaguered manager you know Leicester fans with banners calling for him to be sacked joining in with the Brighton chants when they were singing you're going to get sacked in the morning booing him at full time um so it's real, you know if you add all those things up it looks like a club um that's that's in a relegation battle I think the only thing that sort of makes them stand out is the quality of players that they have in the team um, you know you would not expect players like James Madison and Yuri Tielemans Jamie Vardy Johnny Evans um, Harvey Barnes players that would probably f- fit in with a you know a top six club um, you would not expect them to be in a relegation battle and but this then it sort of comes back to what Rogers is saying and Rodgers' point and I think it's, it's annoyed fans that he keeps bringing it up um, because they just want him to get on with the job but he's sort of constantly sort of sharing his frustration that he wasn't able to bring in any players in the summer. He wasn't able to freshen things up. He says it's gone a little bit stale, um, which I think is understandable. I think that probably is true. Uh, You know, there's, he makes the point that you need new players in to add a little bit of competition. And then that raises the game of the players in the, in the already at the club, whereas they've not had that, um, you know, over the past, uh, over over this summer. So yeah, I can understand Roger's frustration on that point, but you would still say this is the bulk of a squad that, uh, twice finished fifth in the premier league that won the FA cup. Um, and they should be doing better than they are. Uh, and so I think that's where the concern is. So yes, this weekend's game against Aston Villa seems like a really big one. It's the, you know, um, a home match against another team that has struggled. So I think the result in this weekend's game is probably significant. I think you look at what comes after that, you've got uh, an away game at Spurs, which they wouldn't expect to take anything from anyway. Then they've got the international break. And then after the international break, there's a really good run of fixtures. Um, I think if, uh, in terms of, I think they play Forest, Bournemouth, Leeds, Palace in a run of four games, you know, all winnable fixtures, you would say. I think if you were to... If you were looking to appoint a new manager and wanted them to give them a a start which they could pick up points from, I think you would look at those four games and say that that works. Um, so it will be interesting to see. I think I do think this um, weekend's game will be significant.
2: Not quite make or break for Rodgers this weekend, but you know maybe one more step along the along that uh, desolate march. Towards yeah, European. I think
3: I think it's always difficult to say. You know to to put a manager's future on one game, um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, or one results, you know, it could be, you know, they could dominate the game and a decision could go against them and whatever, and they could lose. And then you, then you're like, well, you know, it doesn't really make sense to the second manager just because they lost that game if they were, if they were unfortunate. But I think the, I think the performance will be analyzed. As I said, I think those, those factors that we saw against Brighton that you would say are worrying signs. I think it will be assessed to see how many of those carry on. Um, mm-hmm. Into the game against um, Aston Villa, I think the fan opinion in the stadium will be considered. Um, I think we've seen away games more than home games that there's been a um, a very a sort of anti-Rogers uh, vibe within the the uh, travelling Leicester fans. I don't think we've quite had it so much in home games. So I think the the owners probably will bear in mind. Um, that kind of feeling I think they, they did when they sacked the last manager club. Well, um, which, you know, three and a half years ago now. Uh, so I think they'll bear that in mind. I think we've, we've seen a few boos at at, at home at the home ground. Um, but not any, not any sort of chance for, for Rodgers to be sacked or anything like that. So, um, I think that will be interesting, uh, to see how that goes, because I think they do, you know, they do, uh, take into consideration fan opinion. Um, I think they're, you know, I think they've proven themselves to be, you know, pretty good owners over the the course of the, you know, the more than decade that they've been uh, at the club, the King Power Group. Um, and I think they would, they would bear that in mind because they know, they know how important um, the supporters are. But again, just the financial aspect as well, as I've, as I've mentioned. So yeah, there are a lot of factors to be considered. I don't, they can't just make, the rash decision that Chelsea have, they just don't have the capacity to do that. They can't, you know, as as has been said, it felt like Todd Bowley sort of woken up this morning and decided to sack a manager, like, because he can. Um, Whereas, you know, Leicester don't have the the capacity to do that. And there's lots more uh, meetings and, you know, considered decision-making that would have to take place uh, for, to decide whether a manager should go, manager should go or not.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex, I wanted to bring you back in here just to to get back onto uh, what we'd intended to talk about in the first place before uh, Todd Bowley uh, so impertinently interrupted our our podcast recording. Um, I wanted to speak a little bit more about uh, about City, the game that they've got coming up this weekend. Obviously, that's the Haaland uh, versus Kane uh, battle, which has been pitched at a team and Antonio Conte's first team, which have given uh, City all kinds of trouble uh, over the last um, season or so. Um, w- and City have been maybe I know they've had impressive performances, but they have sort of been been uneven at times at the start of this season. Uh, defensively, they've sort of struggled. What what, what ways? Uh, what way do you perceive this game is going to go over the course of the weekend? Is it something that City fans will be worried about?
1: Um, yeah, I'm I'm a bit worried about it just because, as you say, I think. City fans like like myself have, have, have still got bad memories of when Tottenham last came to the Etihad Stadium. It was uh, that mad three two win for Spurs back in February, which was yeah that it would in that game we kind of saw the main weaknesses that this City side can have, and that was sort of on the transition. Um, like Spurs are just the perfect team in the, in the way that they counter attack the the very pacey wide players, you know, Son, Kulisevsky obviously now they've got like Richarlison as well in mm-hmm. there and 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 you know like of Perisic and, and all these other players that they brought in um and the way that they can break um makes it very difficult for city to to deal with because you know obviously city's well last season city didn't play with a striker so in, in theory the fact that they were playing with more midfielders the fact that they 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 have people tuck into the middle to try and guard against counterattacks and they still conceded free goals um I mean, we should caveat that with the fact that City's defence, they were all atrocious that day. Like, in terms of not just the collective not being able to deal with Spurs', Spurs counterattacks, but, you know, the likes of Walker and, and Diaz, I seem to remember, made sort of individual errors and it was just all very, all very shaky. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes now. Now that they've got Erling Haaland up front, um, they, they aren't using that false nine anymore. And that does seed a little bit of the control that you can't have when you don't play with an out and out striker just because, you know, I guess simply put you, you have one less body kind of in the, in the middle of the part to try and create a numerical advantage. So it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see how, especially without Kyle Walker and obviously Kyle Walker is one of city sort of main tools for dealing with counterattacks because just because of his, well, his tactical intelligence, he knows, like exactly when to step in when to go back out to the wing but obviously his pace as well he's sort of like a um, a safety blanket for City you know if if something does happen and they do get caught on the on the counter he's so quick that he can catch up with a lot of a lot of players but then again he played against Spurs last season and didn't do particularly well Um, so yeah it is going to be a really tricky one actually Um, and obviously the headlines and leading up to the game and probably after it are going to be Haaland and and Kane sort of um, focused and and that could come into it. Obviously, Harry Kane, the, the big narrative was that he he scored the winner, didn't he, at the Etihad um, six, seven months on after City tried to sign him. Yeah. Um, and obviously now City have got Haaland, the guy that they've, they've gone after instead of Harry Kane. And in theory, you know, that game back in February, City had, it, it was kind of the story of when things went wrong for City last season. It was that they didn't take the chances when they should have done and they paid for it. Now with Haaland, clearly they have uh, a better scoring option than they did last season. So if they get enough chances, you wouldn't bet against them, taking in lots of them and just outscoring Spurs, regardless of how they do against Spurs' attack. But um, I think the, the sort of more decisive thing will be how City cope uh with Spurs' sort of breakaways and how they can try and control the game and not let it turn into a kind of a, a basketball sort of end-to-end basketball match like we saw at Newcastle a few weeks ago. Obviously, City really struggled against the pace of Alan Saint-Maximan. Um, and if they do that against Spurs, if they're rushing the ball forward to Haaland rather than um playing that extra pass, which sort of allows City to organise themselves, get the players behind the ball in the right positions to react if the ball comes back at them. If if they rush it up front to Haaland, the ball's just going to come back at them 10 times as fast. And if that happens, it could be quite tricky because, you know, Harry Kane is one of the best strikers in the world. Son is incredible. Kulazewski has has settled in really well since he arrived at Spurs. So it's definitely gonna be an interesting game. I think it'll be one that's much more enjoyable for the neutral than than any City fan that's that's watching it. But um yeah, I'm a bit nervous. I can't lie.
2: Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Haaland. There are a couple of stats that I came across last night. I think he's averaging a goal uh under uh, over one goal, about one goal an hour. Uh for the Hmm. time that he spent on the field so far for City. One goal about, I think it's every 13 or 14 touches of the ball uh, he's scoring uh, or assisting uh, at the minute. I wanted to contrast him against another massive sign in the City of Med, which is Jack Grealish, who's, you know, every time that he plays, whether he starts and gets substituted or whether he comes off the bench, you know, you have people sort of picking through the bones of his performance, looking for something, a little nub. Oh, he dribbled here or he put a cross in there. You know, um, would it be fair to say the city have been disappointed with how it's gone with Grealish so far?
1: Um, no, I don't I don't think they have really. Um, I mean, you never know what sort of Pep Guardiola really is sort of thinking uh, aside from what he says in press conferences, but he has always had quite a sort of positive outlook on Grealish. There's no doubt that, you know, they are expecting more from him. Guardiola has said as much, you know, in terms of his output um, and goals and assists. Um, But I think we've seen in, obviously Grealish has spent the last sort of three weeks out injured, but I think we saw last night at Sevilla, it was a really positive performance from him on on City's left wing. And he was really good on the opening day at West Ham um, before he then got injured in the next game. Um, I think, you know, it's, and when I say really good, it's he wasn't, I don't think personally and, you know, that he was bad last season. It's just, you know, there is this thing that it does take at least a season for new attacking players, particularly at City, to sort of bed in, really get used to what Guardiola wants. And in a sense, Grealish didn't take that long to adapt. Like He he was doing all the things that Guardiola wanted in terms of playing that extra pass when going forward, um, not doing stupid things on the ball that give it away and and leave City vulnerable to be countered against. Um, but he perhaps wasn't being brave enough in terms of, you know, trying to get to the byline or sort of do his trademark, the, the the trademark things he did at Villa where it was like he'd cut in from the flank and, you know, make things happen or have a shot or, or whatnot. It was always a little bit playing it safe. And I think Grealish has admitted that and Guardiola's kind of uh, commented on that as well. But I think now it, it's helped. It looks like, to be honest, it helped last night that he had a natural left-footed left-back kind of overlapping him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And not even just that, it was obviously Bernardo Silva was playing as the left-sided number eight as well. So Grealish could cut in, but also have the option of playing it someone on the overlap or going on around the outside himself and playing it inside to someone on the underlap. Whereas a lot of the times he played last season, it, perhaps it wasn't his fault, but City's left the left side of City's attack always looked very narrow because Giao Cancelo is at left-back and he's right-footed. Grealish on the left wing and he's right footed. Um, so I think he does I think he does benefit when there's more options because it's not necessarily that he plays better, but I think the left side of City's attack just looks more balanced, more unpredictable. So I think there's less chance of people seeing, you know, if, if everyone on the left wing is right footed, Grealish cuts in and gets tackled, it's everyone's sort of like, Oh, it's so predictable. What's Grealish doing? But last night he still cut in lots. But it's less predictable for defenses to deal with because they have to bear in mind that there's a a a marauding left back on the outside, so they can't just focus on Grealish and and shut him down. So, I think some of the criticism of him last season was a bit unfair, but he definitely could have done more. And City and Guardiola will be expecting him to contribute more assists, more goals, um, you know, make more things happen, and you know, just keep improving in some aspects. Like his passing was it was it was fine last night but there were times where he didn't quite make the right decisions that Guardiola would like him to make and and that's just part of the process of of adapting to to city and Guardiola's system so i think i think you know i won't say he needs to come good but i think there's still there's still a lot of sort of areas he can improve in um but yeah it was from what the little of what we've seen this season unfortunately because of his injury mm-hmm. i've been pretty impressed and i think you know I think it is going to be a good season for him. I think he'll definitely be improved on, on what he offered last season. Okay, okay. It'll be interesting to see.
2: Uh, Anita, I might leave the final word to you. Uh, you've been a bit shell-shocked uh, during the broadcast, um, given the news that's been delivered towards you. Sum it up for us. What's happening uh, at Chelsea? Um, some of the opinion that's out there. And, um, and yeah, deliver your eulogy for Thomas Tuchel.
0: Wow. I never I never thought I'd have to do this. You know, I didn't see this coming anytime soon. I thought I'd have some time to say goodbye to Thomas Dupal, you know. I it's, like, I'd... it's like
2: Marley and me around her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad. Honestly. Okay. Apologies for my silence and my shell shotness if that's the word, but... Shell-shot. I have been shell-shot because it's, it's something that I didn't expect. I didn't see this coming. Um, I think Thomas Super should have been given that grace of extra time just for everything he's done for the club. When Chelsea were going through the sanctions, he was the go-to guy. He handled the press for us. Um, he handled it in such an exemplary way as well. And, Do you? How do you reward that with an early sacking at the start of the season? You know, I do feel like he's been hard done by, especially if it is a sacking. I do feel like it's been, it's it's one that's been done prematurely. I do hope the owners know what they're doing. They have somebody there in place, or they're at least thinking about bringing somebody in in place of um Thomas Tuchel, but. I've met Thomas Tuchel once or twice and he's been the kindest man to me. And this is why this kind of hits differently because you can tell how passionate he is about football. You can tell how passionate he is about this club. And we just had a banner done for him. The last game of the season we saw at Stamford Bridge, you saw the banner for him. You saw how happy he was. He he looked so happy that he almost like, wanted to go into tears. You could see all over him. The fans have been behind him and... It's just another sad day at Chelsea where we let yet another manager go early on in their stint of their career. And hopefully this is not a trend that continues under the new Todd Bodie era. But it's goodbye for core. And it's goodbye to you, our listeners. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> okay. Are we not ending it now?
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll end it now. We'll end it now. So that's uh, Anita Abiyomi. Uh, Jordan Blackwell uh, from uh, the the Leicester Mercury and Alex Brotherton for Manchester City writer for the Manchester Evening News Uh, thank you everybody for joining us it's been a a, a dramatic stunning uh, show the first time we've had to deliver breaking news I think we handled it quite well Uh, but please find this podcast um, wherever you like to find podcasts uh, on social. Uh, you might find it up there uh, on the video versions elsewhere. Uh, it's been fun to make. Uh, I hope it's fun to listen to. and guys, thanks very much for joining us. Um, and we'll hope you see you all soon.